Gust, if you don't know who I am. Now you do. Thank you for Luke as my one supporter. Looking forward to me preaching this morning. Uh, good to be back. I haven't preached very much uh, in this series, in Ephesians. Not, I haven't been boycotting the series. Uh, just, uh, just the church have been really kind in giving me a little bit of space when, uh, with the news of Janie's cancer and all that kind of stuff going on. So uh, that's just a, a real kindness that they've given me, the, the pressure of having to deliver a message on a Sunday, although I do love preaching from the Word of God. Uh, I was in town yesterday dropping my son off at uh, the train station and uh, decided, as a little welcome back to myself, that I'd pick up this lovely box of Krispy Kreme donuts from Selfridges. I'm sure most of you know what that looks like. And uh, the great thing about Krispy Kreme donuts is that they are beautifully presented. Uh, they look stunningly delicious. They are, I think, probably the, the most delicious of all donuts that have ever been invented. Um, they're craved by many. Uh, they are apparently also, if you read online, the healthiest of all donuts that's ever been invented <laughs> as well. I don't know if that is true or not. And according to the website, they are little delicious melt-in-your-mouth pieces of joy. Uh, when you look at a Krispy Kreme donut, everything in you wants to do one thing and one thing alone. And you know what that one thing is that I want to do alone. Uh, and I'm just... All with you. Uh, I'll... <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Uh, so what am I going to do? Give it away. Mm. Mm. That's so good. Mm. That's nearly as good as the other one I had earlier on. <laughs> I've made a donuts mess in the uh, carpet. Ah! I've got one little hand over there that kind of... Anybody want a donut? Quite a lot of hands. I'm going to waste valuable preaching time giving some donuts away. Luke gets one because he wanted to hear me preach. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Have, oh, he's gone for the plain one, bless him. Anybody else want one? <laughs> Lot, lots of people. I'll tell you what. <laughs> what I did this morning is I gave it to a faithful friend to hand out rich. Can you be my donut giver away, please? My faithful friend this morning kept one of the donuts for himself. I think Naomi does deserve one. She had a little hand that went up. Yeah, there, is, there is a half-eaten one here if anybody gets really desperate. We, uh, there is a purpose in me giving you donuts this morning. We're in a series in Ephesians, as we know. Uh, it's called Crafted. And uh, it's called Crafted because God has created us to be who we are in him. So we can be totally secure in our identity in Jesus, uh, and that's a good place to be. And uh, in the letter to the Ephesians that we're arriving at this morning, chapter 4, we reach a pivot point in the letter. And it's a pivot point which says, look, there's been a whole lot of good stuff in chapters 1 to 3, as we'll see in a minute. In the light of all that good stuff, let's do something with it. That's essentially the summary of the message. And it's a little bit like taking a look at a Krispy Kreme donut, knowing everything that's good about it, knowing that it looks delicious, knowing that when you put it in your mouth it will be delicious, knowing it's been crafted and created specifically to be eaten and eaten only, not put on a shelf and looked at. It's a little bit like knowing everything about something that's good and then doing something with it, which is simply putting it in your mouth and eating it. I'm not going to eat it again because it will waste even more valuable preaching time if I start munching on the donut. Actually, I'll lose my prop towards the end. I'll give that to you. 
I'll just lick it a bit and then I'll give it to Adrian towards the end. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to get to chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians, but we have to get there by having a summary of chapters 1 to 3 along the way. And the reason we have to get there, as we'll see when we get to chapter 4, 1 to 3, is that Paul starts this next section by looking back and saying, look, you need to get this stuff first in order to know what I'm about to say next. So if we don't get the first bit, we won't get the second bit. So the first part of this message is all about us drinking in the riches that are in chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians. This is a little bit of a whistle-stop summary of what we covered so far in the preaching series. So let's start with Ephesians 1, verse 1 and 2. I'll try my best not to go so fast that we get lost along the way. But Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 2 starts off with Paul saying, Look, here I am, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I've just noticed that my donut helper very faithfully kept one for himself, quality Richard. So uh, there is only one left and it is mine. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the headline of Paul's teaching in life. Grace and peace. Grace, God's undeserved favour. God is totally, utterly, 100% for us and not against us. Whatever your concept of God is, whether you ignore him, whether you reject him, whether you don't believe exists, whatever it is, God's grace is extended to you. God is a God who wants relationship with you. There's a continual arm of embrace available to us from God. He is a God of grace. And he's a God of peace as well. And he's demonstrated that by his son Jesus coming to die for us in order to create peace between us and God. Grace and peace are the headlines of all Paul's letters. And he starts this letter with the amazing grace and peace that's on offer. Let's move to Ephesians 1 verse 3. Where Paul goes on to say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We like being blessed as people. When people do nice things to us, we like it. Some of you have just been blessed by receiving a donut from Uncle Rich. And that's a good thing for you. Other of you might be struggling a little bit that you haven't got one. But on the whole, when something nice is said to us or done to us, we like it. If somebody comes alongside and even just says the simple words, I bless you, friend, that's a nice thing. It brings a, a nice little quiet smile to our face. But the blessings we're talking about here is not just temporal, simple blessings. It's every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's what we're talking about here. So what sort of things have we got? Here's some verses that we've read many times over the last few weeks and months in Oasis because it's rich in blessings from God. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring all things, sorry, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. There's some spiritual blessings in here which are rich. What are they? We're chosen, known, and named by God. Verse 4. You are chosen, known, and named by God. You're not a random, you're known and named by a mighty God. That's a good thing. We're chosen to be totally acceptable to him, whatever we've done. Whatever we think, whatever we think our life looks like, totally acceptable, holy and blameless in God's eyes. 
Sometimes we're not even acceptable to ourselves. God says, I accept you. I love you. We're chosen for sonship. What does that mean? It's for family, community, relationship, love. God has chosen us to be loved. He wants to love us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He's chosen to rescue us, to redeem us, to forgive us. He wants us to be free from any guilt for anything we've done in our lives which dogs our consciences or anything that has been done to us in our lives which haunts our consciences. That's a rich, special blessing in Christ. And he's chosen us, verse 9 and 10, for insight and revelation. What does that mean? We know where it's all heading in life. God's given us the big picture. We know about Jesus Christ, whose life, death and resurrection points to the goodness of God. And we know that one day he's going to return and bring all things under his authority. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we've got nothing to worry about. The world might look like it's going all over the place. We don't have to worry. There's confidence that we have in God. These are rich, special, spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What have we got here? We've got the spiritual stamp. The seal of approval from God. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has stamped you with the Holy Spirit and said, you are mine and I am yours. You are mine and I am yours. And that's an ongoing thing forever for eternity. Always in God, never insecure, knowing that you're loved by the Father. The spiritual stamp of authority, the Holy Spirit, which makes sure that we're certain of what we hope for, sure of what we do not see, a future enriched in the presence of God. It goes on. Ephesians 1, verse 18 to 21, I'll pick up on verse 19. We've got his incomparably great power for us who believe. The incomparably great power in the Holy Spirit. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and sealed him at his right hand, and sorry, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Have you ever wanted to experience history-shaking, history-making power? Have you ever wanted to be the sort of person that can turn the world upside down, do something radical and amazing that causes history itself to be changed? Have you ever aspired to be someone, a, he- a hero or a heroine that you might have in your life? I wish I was like them that could do something that was radical, that could change the whole of history. Well, welcome to the power of God. Welcome to the power of God in the Holy Spirit. We have it. This verse says that we have it in Christ. This is not something made up. This is something here for us, available in Christ, if we have it. It's incomparable power. Let's enjoy it. Let's live in the light of it. Ephesians 2, we'll jump to verse 9. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance to do. The verse that has shaped our whole series in Ephesians. We are God's handiwork, crafted by God. You and I are specifically, purposefully, uniquely, carefully, specially made to be who we are in Christ. I am me, and I don't want to be anybody else. You are you, and God wants you not to be anybody else. Everything you like, God has given you to like. Everything you dislike, everything you enjoy. God has made you to be who you are. That gives us identity and security in God. It's a good place to be. And he's made me to be me in order for me to be the light shining for others to Jesus that only I can specifically do. So you can do your thing and I'll do my thing and that's totally fine. We're God's handiwork, crafted in him, entirely comfortable in our own skin. 
It goes on, Ephesians 2, verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the death and resurrection of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, as we know, grace and peace to you. And in him, you, we, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. We've been brought near by the blood of Jesus, and now we become a dwelling place for God. A dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. People coming together knowing how good God is. How much he loves us. Though we're not alone, isolated in our relationship with him, although that is wonderful. We're together as a body demonstrating to people how good it is to be in Christ. And it goes on in verse uh, 10 of chapter 3. His intent was that now through the church the place where the Holy Spirit dwells, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have in the church a unified body of people that are unified in one thing, Jesus Christ. And that unification brings peace, the like of which the world doesn't know. And the world can try and be unified by finding common ground of belief systems or opinions or views or whatever it is. But it's only in Christ that true peace, true unity comes. And that's what this verse is saying. The manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated by all of us with our different views, our different opinions, our different backgrounds, our different cultures, our different colours, our different likes. All unified together in Christ. You and I are all different. We're all here today. Some of us disconnected through life until now, and now we're connected and unified in Christ, and we live together in peace. It's a blessing that God has given us. There's much revelation here in these verses in Ephesians. A summary of the summary, if you will. A summary of the summary. Known, named, and loved by God. Chosen to be totally acceptable to him, whatever our reasons for not being. Chosen for relationship, community, family. Chosen for rescue, redemption, forgiveness. Chosen for insight and revelation. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Equipped with history-making, history-shaking power. Uniquely, specially, specially and wonderfully made. Blessings from God. Rich spiritual blessings from God. And Paul, when he's writing these things, he's thinking, this is, I'm enjoying what I'm writing, which is why he often gets in a flow when he's writing his letters. He's like, this is incredibly good news. Rich spiritual blessings in Christ. And the driver in all of this blessing is back to God's love. Back to God's love. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God's love is the driver, which is why Paul, when he dwells on all this rich and wonderful truth, ends up on his knees before the Father, praying for the Ephesian church. Which is why he says, From whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, the Father, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is writing, grasp the love of God, know the love of God. Know this love which surpasses all knowledge. If you can grasp it, if you can get it, if you can receive it, if you can live by it, boy, the world will change. Know the love of God. It's there for you. Be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. That's what Paul is trying to communicate, which is why he crescendos the whole of the chapter by saying, Now to him 
who is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And figuratively speaking, Paul from his prison cell where he wouldn't have had a table and he wouldn't have had a chair and he probably didn't have a pen and a quill would nevertheless have sat back in his chair at his imaginary desk put his hands behind his back and thought boy I totally believe everything I've just written that was really really good of the Holy Spirit God has led me to write something that is rich and spiritual and deep and wonderful and doesn't just make me think "Mm, that was all right it moves me to do something That's what he's writing as he's writing this letter to the Ephesian church, which is why, as you'll see in a minute, he begins the next section with two important and specific words. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 3 to 3. And he says this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness... With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I therefore, says Paul, urge you. I therefore, says Paul, urge you. Therefore, what's the therefore therefore? It's there for us to look back into chapters 1 to 3 and drink in the rich blessings of God. To know how good it is to be in Christ. It's like soaking in all the riches of goodness, of the goodness of God. It's what we do in worship week on week in Oasis Church. We drink in the goodness of God. That's what we've just done in worship. We've drunk in the goodness of God. We look to him because he's everything that he can possibly be for us. It's a wonderful place to be, and in that, we therefore are urged to do something with it. Paul is wanting to urge us to do something with it. He gets it. He's saying, therefore, I'm going to urge you to do something with it. It's not a sense of of duty, saying, well, I better do something with it. He's saying, look, don't you want to do something with it? This is so good. This is so good. I'm so excited. You've heard the doctrine. Now to duty. Now to doing something with what you've heard. Not born from obligation, but born from revelation. Not a sense of, oh, I've got, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm a child of God, that's good. uh, What else? Adopted as a son in God's family as a community, that's good as well. Sealed with the Holy Spirit, that's good. Uh, I know where the future's going, that's good. Uh, And I'm in the church, that's good. Uh, And I suppose I'm supposed to do something with that. So I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll do something. It's not that. It's more child of God, known, chosen, called by God. Filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed with him, a son of God, a daughter of God, in God's family, showing people what it's like to be unified, having the peace of God and the grace of God emanating in me. This is sounding so good, I can't help but hold myself back from doing something with it. Which is why this is a pivotal verse in the book of Ephesians. A pivotal moment. All the doctrine we've heard, let's soak in it, but now there's something more to do. Soak more or therefore? Soak more or therefore. And it's good to soak, and it is, but at this moment there's a therefore coming. We need to move in the therefore and actually outwork what God wants us to do. I went uh, to the Lake District in October of last year. I was given a few days off from the church, very kind to me uh, recently, and uh, just again get some time with God and on my own and chill out a little bit and that kind of thing. That's a photo that I took. It's quite a good photo, to be honest. Uh, God's creation. 
Uh, I was given an apartment in the Lake District in a place called Ambleside by some friends of ours, so that was really kind of them as well. Uh, and the irony of being in that apartment whilst I was there is that even though the apartment itself was a luxury apartment, so, you know, so, so leather sofas and a wood burner and posh telly and posh kitchen and posh bedrooms and all that kind of thing, I found myself being in the apartment but feeling at a general sense of unease while I was in it. And the reason that I felt there was a general sense of unease was that every time I was in the apartment, in the apartment I knew what was outside. I knew that that was outside. And so I'd wake up in the morning, and as much as I wanted to lie in and think, oh, I'm on my own, I can have a nice long lie in and waste a day and not do anything, there was something in me that said, yeah, yeah, but what's outside? Look at that. That's outside. And so I wanted to be outside in God's creation, enjoying what I knew to be good, not just seeing it and knowing that it was there. Now, it's true to say that when I went on to work, there were one or two other things that came up that, that took me by surprise. Here's a picture that I didn't expect to see whilst I was in the Lake District. <laughs> Uh, but I thought I'm having a picture of that. Uh, I don't think they've used that picture in their insurance claim. But, uh, but the whole point is that when Paul begins this section of scripture and urges the Ephesian church to do something, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. And what he's basically saying there is, look, we need to get walking. We need to get out. We need to stop soaking and start walking. We need to bring what we know of the goodness of God to people that don't know the goodness of God. Whether that's a workplace for you, school, university, college, home life, job centre, friends, friends and family, connections in life, whatever it is. It's don't just know that it, there's some goodness in God. Get out there and experience it in your life so that you can show other people how good it is. So Paul says, this is how we're to walk. Get out there and walk, but how are we to walk? And he says there are four characteristics, Christ-like qualities, that he wants us to walk with as we walk. And these are qualities where we need to pause, take a breath, and ask ourselves the question, are we like this? If you're a follower of Jesus, are we like this? If you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, you know somebody who professes to be a follower of Jesus, ask yourself the question, are they like this? Because if they're not, you've got good ground to say, well, according to what Gus said this morning, probably what Paul teaches in the Bible, you need to be some of these things. So how's it looking for you in your life? What are the four things? Humility and gentleness, number one. Patience, number two. Forbearing, which is bearing with one another in love, number three. And with eagerness to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit, number four. We're going to go through these four things reasonably briefly. So the first is with all humility and gentleness. What does humility mean? It means with all lowliness. If you're a follower of Jesus that gets what it's like to be a child of God in Christ, you need to be humble. You need to have a low opinion of yourself. That doesn't mean you're insecure, because we've already heard that we are secure, but it does mean that you have a low opinion of yourself, that you're not worried about getting people's accolade, that you're not worried about being the centre of attention, that you're not worried about self-advertisement. You're worried more about proclaiming Christ and him crucified. You're humble with nothing to prove. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. When Peter was writing about humility in 1 Peter 1 verse 5, he said this, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And he wrote it like that because he had Jesus in mind. That word clothe yourself there means put on the apron of humility. Put on the apron of humility. And he had Jesus in mind because we know, if we know the Bible, that's what Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet. He took up a towel, if you like, and tied it round his waist as an apron of humility and bent low to wash the disciples' feet. 
And what Jesus does there is what Paul is trying to get us to get here. Humility. Bending low to serve people. Bending low to be kind to people. Bending low, knowing who we are in Christ, securing our identity, but still nevertheless bending low, bending low, bending low to, to meet people's needs wherever we can. And sometimes when we're humble as Christians, our humility can actually be an offence to people. It sounds a bit odd, but sometimes we're so secure in who we are that people think they're unnerved by it. They don't quite like it. You're almost like too secure. And sometimes it comes over as insincerity. A Christian can be insincere because they think, well, I'm confident in God. I know who I am. You might not know who you are, but I know who I am. And it all goes a bit pear-shaped, which is why Paul couples the humility with gentleness. It's really key. You can be humble, but be gentle as well. Gentle means having an inner sense of, uh, of, of meekness, inner mildness, of inner peace, that you're unruffled whatever's going on in life. So you're coming to people with that right sense of humility, but with gentleness as well, not making people think that you are better than other people, even in your humility. And when should we be humble and gentle? Quite simply, all of the time. All of the time, because Paul says... Uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness. And that word all means with every possible, with every kind of, in all situations. Don't just turn on your humility and gentleness on a Sunday when you might be around Oasis Church and people looking to see whether you like it or not. Do it all the time. At home, at work, at college, university, job centre, wherever it is you. Be humble. Be gentle. Be humble. Be gentle. Are we humble and gentle? Are you humble and gentle? Am I humble and gentle? I don't even want you to answer that question because my guess is that sometimes I might be humble and gentle and sometimes I might not be. I want to be humble and gentle. I want to express kindness, gentleness, humility to people. Let's be humble and gentle, not looking to lord ourselves over other people. Let's looking to look out for other people. So that's humility and gentleness. Secondly, patience. Patience, or to be more exact, that word there means long-suffering. What does long-suffering mean? Uh, It means to suffer long. That's the uh, dictionary definition of long-suffering. Or another longer definition is to hold yourself in control for long periods and not give way to passion. To hold yourself in long periods and not give way to passion. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's take an example. Suppose somebody's winding you up. We all get wound up by different things in life. So somebody's winding you up. They don't know why they're winding you up. They may be doing it intentionally. They may be doing it unintentionally. But they're winding you up, and you can begin to feel the red mist of frustration stroke anger coming your way long suffering means hold yourself back in that moment don't react don't think ill of whoever that person might be don't speak ill of that person don't plan to do something that is evil towards that person be nice to them do something the opposite in order to show that you are long suffering you can cope with any amount of flack that comes your way and then express humility kindness gentleness to them God himself in the Bible is long-suffering because he holds himself back for long periods of time from individuals and peoples who don't follow him, even though he gives them the wise counsel to say, the best way to do life is to follow me and to know my plans and my precepts. And yet people rebel against him. It all goes completely pear-shaped. And to some extent, God has a right at that point to say, stupid lot, whap, out you go. But he doesn't. He holds back and he holds back and he holds back. He's long-suffering until such point as he takes action to do something about it. And the action that he takes is to send Jesus his son, whose life, death and resurrection sorts it all out. 
So long-suffering doesn't mean just chill and do nothing, which is a kind of 21st century thing. Oh, let's just chill about that. Let's just chill. Let's just chill. It's just chill, yes, but then do something positive to build a bridge with somebody that might not have a relationship with God. That's what long-suffering is. So let's be long-suffering. Be patient. Third, bearing with one another in love, which means forbearing. And this literally means that it's similar to long-suffering, to hold yourself up against something, to hold yourself up against something. So it's very similar to patience. The difference here in meaning that Paul is trying to get through is that actually now we're in a situation of temptation. So something is, is, is enticing us, alluring us, attracting us that we know we shouldn't get into or be up to. And it's a temptation that we're beginning to lean more towards rather than lean towards Jesus. And forbearing means don't fall. Hold up against it. Don't fall. Hold up against it. Don't succumb to the temptation. Actually, turn away from it, if you like, repent from the temptation and go towards Christ. That's what forbearing means. And that's individually very difficult, isn't it? Because sometimes we can get caught in situations on our own where there are things that tempt us and we stumble and fall. God's grace will always restore us in Christ, by the way. So there's an individual challenge, but there's also a corporate challenge here because Paul writes, bear with one another in love. Bear with one another. There's a together thing that's going on here. And the outworking here is him saying, look, Ephesian church, and therefore people today, don't get sloppy in your faith. If you're a follower of Jesus, if let's say you're a group of men or women going out on the town, say, you go out for a few drinks, and you're all followers of Jesus, you might have a view sometimes, you think, look, we're all followers of Jesus, it doesn't matter if we have a few drinks too many, because we're all together. We know that we love God, he'll forgive us anyway, let's just do it. Let's get tempted to do something that actually if you were in an unbelieving world, you might be more sharper not to do because you don't want to cause the unbelieving friend to fall. But what this verse is saying is that actually let's sharpen one another. Let's together as a community hold one another to be forbearing. So within Oasis Church, we need to hold one another not to succumb to temptation. So if you are someone that's going to a whiskey festival, for example, or you're going out clubbing really late or whatever your thing is, and you think, I'm just going to go with that and it doesn't really matter. Hold yourself. Think, no, no, no. Let's be Christians today that sharpen one another, sharpen one another in our language, and our actions, whatever it is. Be together in forbearing. And then fourthly, with an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit. An eagerness to maintain the, spirit, the unity of the Spirit. What Paul is saying here is, look, humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forbearing, We've got to be quick about this, you know. We've got to be eager. We've got to be on the front foot. We've got to get out there. It speaks of drive, of passion, of desire. It doesn't speak of, I'll do it if I feel like it. I'll be be an advocate for Jesus here. It kind of works for me. Paul is saying, look, if we've got the rich blessings in Christ, we've got to be out there. We've got to be driving ourselves to think, I'm going to be a light shining for Jesus. Let's get out there as much as we can to demonstrate God's goodness to people. Being humble, being kind being gentle, being considerate. These are the things he wants us to be. Why? Because he wants us to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, the unity of the Holy Spirit? It means, look, there is a high calling that we have as followers of Jesus, and that is to proclaim Christ and him crucified and him resurrected from the dead. And people looking into church community will be looking for how we behave differently in order to see whether there's any truth in the talk. So are we walking the talk or are we just talking the talk? It's back to the talk and the walk, the soak and the therefore. So we've got, to, we've got to take this on board and be Christ-like in order to make sure that what Christ has done, if you like, is not broken or damaged or fractured. 
Because if people look in and see a community where there is no humility, there is no gentleness, there is no kindness, there is no patience, there is no forbearance, what they'll do is say, well, you're just like everybody else. End of. Goodbye. Thanks. I'll go my own way. And today, in our society, that is what a lot of people think. So there's an encouragement to us where we think this is, this is important stuff, this is urgent stuff, which is why the whole of the next section of the Ephesians letter begins to talk about the practical outworking of all of this. This is headline stuff at the beginning. Be saying that be eager, be eager. Oasis Church, Oasis Church, Spanish for Oasis. Be eager, be eager to walk this walk. Be eager to walk this walk. Are we eager? Are you eager? Am I eager? I want to be eager, but I know sometimes I'm not eager. We can encourage one another as a community to be eager. So those are the four things. Humility, as I say, humility, patience, forbearance, eagerness with the Holy Spirit. Concluding, back to my donut that I didn't want to give away. It's a simple illustration. I come back to it. We know that donut is good. Those of you that had a Krispy Kreme donut this morning know that it's good. The one thing you do with a Krispy Kreme donut is not just look at it and know that it's good. You eat it. You do something with it. You take action as a result of knowing how good it is. If you're somebody that likes the mountains, you don't just sit in your apartment in Ambleside, where my apartment was, looking outside thinking, it is beautiful out there. It is glorious. That is wonderful. It's going to be so delightful to be out there, but I'm just going to stay in my seat by the fire and wonder what it must be like to enjoy that richness. When you read Ephesians 1 to 3, and I'd encourage you, if you can, to spend some time this week even reading it again. Read it and pray about it and meditate on it and think on it and believe it because there are rich blessings that God is imparting to us through those those scriptures. And as you read it, you'll think, like Paul thought, Amen, this is good, I believe this. I have got some spiritual blessings. This is wonderful. This is good news. God is the best God that's ever been invented in life. Not invented, I know. This is wonderful. And as a result of that, you'll start thinking, I can soak on this, I can soak on this, I can soak on this. But I I want to be someone like Paul that does something with it. Soak more, or therefore I'm going to walk in the goodness that God has given me to walk in. With humility, with gentleness, with forbearance, with kindness. Looking to demonstrate how wonderful it is to be in Christ. That is the whole point of this scripture. I'd encourage us, as much as possible as a church, to be like this, to be people that have integrity, that are genuinely moved by the scripture, by doctrine, by knowing that it's true, but not just moved in a gooey way that says, oh, it's wonderful, moved in an action way, which says, right, we're, we're eager now, we are walking the talk, we are getting out there, we're demonstrating that there's truth, because at the end of the day, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's just pray. God, I, uh, I want to start just by saying thank you for what you put on Paul's heart to write to that Ephesian church all those years ago from his prison cell. Lord, the flow in the Holy Spirit that you enabled him to write such r- richness, such blessing, Lord God, that would last... Uh, throughout the generations, throughout history. Blessing, Lord God, that caused the Ephesian church to turn their heads and, uh, and blessings which causes us today to turn ours. And thank you, God, that it's your intention that we look at these amazing blessings in you and are moved by them, are changed by them. Lord, that is your intention. Thank you for your word to us, which is alive in us today. And Lord, we love soaking on your word. We love it, Lord. We love pondering you. 
and thinking about you. And we love singing to you, Lord God, and we love worshipping you. We so do love doing all of that, Lord God, and we never want to stop doing it. But I also pray, Father, that you put urgency within our spirits today to live how you want us to live. Lord, crafted to live, crafted to share the good news, crafted to walk the talk. Lord, that's what we want to be as a church, as a community, demonstrating that in you, Father, we have everything we need to show people how good you are. That's our heart. I pray you change us today, even today, Lord God. You prick our consciences in your Holy Spirit. Prick our consciences to be humble, to be gentle, to be kind, to be patient to be forbearing. Help us, Lord God, to get out there with eagerness to show people how good you are. I pray it not for our own well-being or glory, but for yours. We want your name to be glorified. We want people to know you, Jesus, because you are, as I said, the way, the truth, and the life. And we just say amen to that. In Jesus' name, amen.